I want to take not a long time, um, but I, I want to go to the book of 1 Peter. And have you ever had a verse just jump out at you and you can't run away from it, you can't escape it? And that's where we're at today. And um, I don't know that I'm going to teach anything earth-shattering or brand new. Uh, I don't think tonight anybody's going to go back and say, man, I've never heard it like that. But if you will, I just feel like the Word of God wants to take some moments to encourage you today. And there is absolutely a biblical um, principle that God's Word, there ought to be an encouragement as well. It does convict, it does teach, but I'm going to tell you, living for God, there is a hope that we have. And if you don't have that hope, what does the Bible say? We're of all men most miserable. And so let me encourage you today through the Word of God. And, and uh, we'll get to my text, which is uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. But before we do that, with your Bibles open, I want to, I mean, give you the fastest overview of the book of 1 Peter that I think I could possibly do, knowing it it really should have its own sermon and I should do a series kind of like I did Hebrews. But I just want to show you some things to set the stage before we get to where we are, we're going. And um, the, the book of, of Peter, First Peter, Peter is writing to a, a church. He, he's an apostle. And look, look at, at chapter 1, verse 1. He says, and again, I'm reading from the ESV. But to those who were the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This is a moment, we, we spoke of the book of Hebrews, that when the book of Hebrews was written, there was not a lot of persecution going on with the church at that point. There was some, but it had not yet really reached its epic and its, its uh, you know, kind of the, the, the high point. Now we are at that place. Now, see, when, 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 the, when Christianity started, it, it started, even though it wasn't, but most people just assumed that it was an offshoot of Judaism. They, they met in the same synagogues. They even worshipped in the same temples. And, and, and there was a lot of that. That's why we had to write the book of Hebrews. That's why there was some teaching that it's not the same as Judaism. There's a great difference between the beliefs of Judaism and the Mosaic law and what a Christian and the liberty and the grace that you and I have. But now we reach towards the end of the Bible recorded period. We're in that first century and even towards the end of that first century. And first persecution came from the Jews against the Christians. Think back to Saul, Paul. Paul uh, had letters from uh, the, the Jewish leaders that he could go and arrest Christians and torment Christians and even put to death Christians. Paul, Saul, he, he was first called Saul. Uh, Saul held the robes, held the garments. The out, when, when they got ready to stone Stephen, Saul was there and they all kind of took off their suit coats, if you will, and he held them and, and probably egged them on as they, they, they martyred Stephen and stoned him. But here you have these Christians and they have been dispersed. It's not safe. Uh, at this time, Rome is even starting to get in on the action. So not only is it Jews that are persecuting the Christians but now Rome is persecuting the Christians and you have this dispersion the church was in a trial now you and I we're blessed people 
we can gather here and we can worship and we can give God praise. You can put whatever you want on your Facebook. You can say whatever you want to say just about to anybody. There's not that type of persecution. But I will tell you from that point that we're finding in 1 Peter until now, the church and those that live for God have suffered trials. Can I get a hand of anybody that's ever had a trial in your life? Absolutely. It's a trial. But Peter, writing of the trial, writing of those that are scattered, this is what he says. He says at the end of verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Now look at verse 3. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm going real fast. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. I love phrases like that. I hope you catch the passion that I feel when I read the word of God when it says things like great mercy and great love. The depths of what that truly means that God loved you so much that he put aside the splendor of heaven just for you. And I believe that with all my heart. If you were the only person on the face of the earth, Christ would have still died for you. He's not interested in quantity. He's interested in the one. It's the one lost sheep. It's the one lost coin. It's, it's, it's those things that matter. The one lost son. But he said it's this great mercy that he caused us to be born again to a living hope. Look at your neighbor and say we have hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not a hope of the past. It's that there's a lot of people that hold on to a, a, a dead hope, a dead past. This is not uh, something that was old-time religion. And I, I like those old convention songs, and they talk about the old-time religion, and I know what they mean, but that this is not an old-timey religion. Our hope is fresh. What did we preach Sunday? His mercies are new every morning. This living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And look at verse 4. You're going to find, especially today, I like it when verses use a series of words. They just kind of, you know, you, you have, uh, for example, Acts 2.38. Repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. That makes a great three-part sermon. But watch what this says. This says that, first off, that, that we are born again into a living hope. Verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you. Can I tell you that it's been roughly 2,000 years since Jesus walked on this earth. It's been centuries uh, that's gone, even a, a millennia, if you will, that has passed. But the hope that we have never fades. It's never defiled. It's not going to perish. It's in heaven. And the Bible says in verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1, 2, that who by God's power... They're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There is coming a day. Now, I, I like living for God now. I'm blessed. There are, there are uh, 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 privileges and blessings that you and I have that we live for God right now. And I am a recipient of those blessings. The longer I'm alive, the more I consecrate my life to Him, the more I follow His instructions, the better my life becomes. But this is not the end. This is not the end. But it says here, however, in this you should rejoice, verse 5. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that 
the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Don't give up. Keep walking. It doesn't matter how bad 2016 was. I don't know exactly what 2017 is going to hold. There'll be ups and there'll be downs. There'll be good times and there'll be bad times. But I can tell you right now that I am holding on to a hope that as long as I live for him, everything is going to turn out all right. I didn't say it will be all right because I, I'm not one. Of, there, there's another one that says count it all joy. Uh, you, you know, and, and, and all of that when you see these trials. I don't leap for joy. The other day, I mean, it's been a couple months ago. Um, i trying to remember when it was. I, it may have been around Thanksgiving time. My, I had dad in the van. Zane was in the van. And we, were, we had to come back to the church for something. I don't know what it was. And as we passed the church there, I have my old pickup truck that I drive. And, and um, I'm always looking for parts for it. It's a 1992, so you don't, some parts you don't just go to the store and get. And so... Uh, I, I'm always looking for parts. My dash is all cracked on it. So anytime I see a truck around that year for sale, I go check it out to see if it's got a good dash. And uh, I found a truck down here for sale. And so I whipped in and I jumped out and it was, it, I, I thought it was the right year. It wasn't. And uh, I'm in my wife's you know, new car. It's about a year and a half old. And I'm so thankful I was able to get her a new car. Like I said, we hadn't, uh, we got it a, a used, a year old, but she, she had never had anything like that. And here I am driving it. And I'm backing out of the car lot. And pow! I look around. I'm like, what in the world did I hit? I didn't see anything. We have the backup camera. I didn't see anything. I hit one of those huge concrete blocks. Zoe may have been with us too. I went out and looked at it and had two big old cracks in the bumper. Ah. It wasn't so much, I mean it is that you got to pay the deductible and you got to do all of that, but it's the fact that i got to tell my wife. I didn't say much, but man, as soon as the door opens, Zoe goes, hey mom, guess what daddy did? Huh. Can I tell you that when I got out, my first emotion was not to go, woohoo, I'm being tried today. No, I kind of muttered mean things to my own self under my breath. About how stupid I was for hitting a parked or an inanimate object. It's not so much that I glory and say, ha, I'm glad I got trials. I'm glad I'm sick. I'm glad the car broke down. It's, it's not that. It's this fact that God will bring you through no matter what trial comes, whether it's your fault the trial is there or whether it's just life or whether the devil is throwing everything he can at you. Would you just understand this one thing, God's got it. Is there anybody here today that you can raise your hand and say I've lived long enough to know that no matter what trial came, God brought me through it. Now, the, the, the writer of Hebrews, it, it keeps going and it's talking about the salvation that comes from his grace and then it tells you, hey, you're in these trials, this is what you need to do. And we read this part at the beginning of our service in verse 13, the be holy for you're holy, gird up the loins of your mind, guard your thoughts. Why do you need to guard your thoughts? Because persecution is coming. 
And if the devil can, can, can kind of put enough stumbling blocks in your path, if your flesh can rise up enough and cause you to, to go down those thoughts and let them creep in, and, and, and if that happens, then, you know, you'll, you'll start fading. It talks about that in verse, or rather, chapter two, that we are a, that there is a living stone, that we're a, a holy people, we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Again, just to encourage you that God knows you, God called you, and God's not going to call you if He's not going to help you through it. God doesn't operate like that. God's not going to save you and then say, well, I gave you the Holy Ghost. I let you get baptized so you're on your own. Just persevere to the end. That's not how salvation works. That's not how, not how living for God works. He that called you will give you the strength to sustain you. He will finish what he started in you. He goes on to talk about being submitted to authority and, and wives and husbands uh, 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 loving them and, and, and that suffering comes for righteousness sake and that we should be stewards of God's grace. Now, let's pick up and we'll get to where it is. So if you'll put it on the screen, Brother Andy, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. So we know all of this is here. So verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to, upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, then you're blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, then what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel? For it was said, if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. So this is, this is, all of that that I just spoke, that was our beginning. That was our, our we, we took a long time to launch. So here's, here's the crux of the matter. Therefore, let all of those who suffer. How many of you have suffered or are suffering? Okay, got one, two, okay. Every hand could be up if you really wanted it to be. No one is, is exempt from suffering. Again, the suffering, Brother Miller, it, you could be suffering because you made a bad decision. You could be suffering, Brother Steve, because you've sinned. Morgan, you could be suffering simply because God, or, or rather the devil doesn't like what you're doing and he's attacking you. Suffering comes in all different manners and all different kinds. But look what Peter, he wanted to make sure, and of course all scripture is breathed on by God. It's inspired by God. It says this, Let all who suffer according to God's will, let them entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Friend, if you're suffering today, I, I don't have an answer for all of the suffering. I can pray for you and we can anoint with oil and we can fast and all of that, but sometimes suffering just tends to be. But here's the thing. As you are suffering, trust your soul to God. So now I want to take you to First uh, Peter chapter five and verse ten, and this is my this is my text. 
so, so he, uh, not Hebrews, First <laughs> Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. And I'm going to read this one from the King James because I, I need the words. But the God of all grace, who has called you unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And I want to preach for the remainder of time that I have on those four words. And I want to just tell you that, that God will, if you'll let him, God will perfect you, God will establish you, God will strengthen you, and God will settle you. I want to say that again, and, and without any commentary, without me preaching and telling you what those words mean, I want you just to think for a moment. And, and, and I want you to get your own uh, understanding of what those words mean and realize that's an incredible God. A God that wants to perfect you, a God that wants to establish you or establish you if you want to put the E in front of there, a God that wants to strengthen you, and a God that wants to settle you. There's some strength in those words. I read that it's been probably a month or so ago, and I have had this verse in, in my, I have an online note-taking app that I can take notes on, and I've had it there. I've pulled it up on my computer. I can't tell, me, tell you how many times and just looked at it. I've, been, I've gone through it. I've read it until I, I have it memorized. But see, Peter, as he closes out this first epistle that has, bears his name, and, and he's talked about trials are going to come. But then he kind of ends it on this high note. First off, he says, it's the God of all grace. Can I just tell you today that you have God's grace? What is grace? The unmerited favor of God. You don't deserve it, but God loves you. You don't deserve his hand uh, uh, being extended to you. You don't deserve being on God's good side. You don't deserve God sticking up for you. But I'm so glad he does. And God has grace. Our salvation comes because of his grace. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, that we have tasted that the Lord is gracious. 1 Peter chapter 4 and 10 says that his grace is manifold, meaning it meets every situation of life. Another place says he will give us the grace we need. He knows exactly the measure we have. That's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, I believe. James chapter 4, verse 6 says he giveth more grace. I'm thankful for that. I've told you over and over, one of the most powerful prayers that I know you can pray is the prayer, I believe it was the centurion, uh, that, that came to Jesus and said, you know, my servant or, or my, you know, is sick. And Jesus said, do you believe? And his response was, I believe, but help mine unbelief. I'm convinced that is a powerful prayer. Lord, I, I know you can, but I'm really struggling. Here, that other verse that I, I said about the uh, James chapter 4 verse 6 he giveth more grace sometimes I don't seem to have enough grace but I can go to the Lord and say God I know I don't deserve it but could you just give me a little bit more grace to make it through my trial we're going to glory the Bible says because it says we're by the, great, by the God of all grace who's called us into his, his eternal glory this world's not my home as the old song says I'm just passing through I can 
I can make it because I know what lies at the end. I've told the story of Brother, uh, Brother Jerry Jones, our general, super, or general secretary of the United Pentecostal Church. Brother Jones tells the story, and he's told it several times in different venues that I've been to. Uh, I believe it was Brother Jones. Uh, now that I think of it, it may have been Brother Jerry Dean, but it's one of the Jerry's. Um, they, were at, they were at camp, kids' camp, way back then when you didn't have cell phones, and the only way you could call home was to go to a pay phone uh, on, the, on the building and put a, uh, uh, some money in there or call collect and you could get there and there was only one phone in the hole uh, you know, for everybody to use and so it usually be lined up and at the end of the night it'd have a long line because there was a lot of kids that wanted to call home and say mom I miss you and come get me and I'm sad and you've probably dealt with some of that but uh, one of those men Brother Jerry Jones, Brother Jerry Dean now my brain's playing tricks on me Tells the story of calling his dad and saying, Dad, I want to come home. I'm homesick. I need to come home. Let me come home. And his dad said, man, I can't do that. I'm like four hours away. I mean, it would take me all night just to get to you. You'd be asleep by the time I got you. Got to you. You'll be okay. And the, the remark that he made, the, that, that Brother Jones or Brother Dean made, he said, but Dad, if I only knew you were coming, then I could wait. Can I tell you, that's how it is in my life. If I know he's coming... I can endure some things. If I know he's coming, I can walk through some rough roads. If I know he's coming, I can go through some of those ups and those downs because I know what my future holds. We're coming. We're going to glory. And uh, another, the, the next thing that says after you've suffered for a little while or that, that this present suffering, it's only, as one place says, it's only for a season. Have you ever had a really bad time in life where you thought about giving up and you thought that you could never make it? But then later looking back, you realize, and, and I'm not saying that the trial wasn't bad or, or that it wasn't a, a horrid experience, but you realize it wasn't that long and, and you could get through it. That hindsight being 2020. Our present, our suffering is only for a little while, it's for a season, but it's that glory that's eternal. If I've got to walk through some experiences on earth for a time, I think I'm willing to give up a little uh, uh, happiness, a little good. If I've got to struggle through some moments, I'll do it for a while because I've got eternity waiting for me on the other side. And we know that this trial is building us up. I want to, I want to bring those four words to you, and I want you to grab hold of them. If you've got your Bible, this would be a perfect place for you to write something on the side of your Bible, or if you take notes, these four things would be a great thing for you to write, because you're going to come to a day where you're going to need to bring this verse back to remembrance, and I'm going to remind you of those four things, that God wants to perfect you, to establish you, to strengthen you, and to settle and when you get a full grasp of what those four words mean, what a God we serve. So, the first one is, he wants to perfect you. Again, I don't speak Greek or Hebrew, but I know how to study some, and, and I can see that. And uh, The word, and, and I can't, there's no way I could pronounce the Greek, but the word that's found here, 
is found in several other verses of Scripture. And so, without me telling you what this, what this word means, I want to just tell you where in the Bible they used this word before. So, if you have your Bibles, or Brother Andy, you can put it on the screen. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 21. Now, when I begin to read this, you're going to catch on. And, and I may even ask one of you where you think that word is. Okay, remember the Bible, the, the word, uh, and it starts with a K in the Greek. I can't pronounce it, but it starts with a K in the Greek, and it means to perfect you. But this is where the verse is used in Matthew. And going on from thence, Jesus saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Anybody want to take a guess? Have a little back and forth. Anybody want to take a guess where that word is? Any brave people? Where? Help me out, where? Mending, absolutely. Mending. So, so now, that, now that you see that, so when the, when the English, when, when, when those that, that translated the Bible into English, uh, when they saw that word here, they said, well, that means mending, fixing. They, they, a, a big fish had torn their net. They had gotten their net hung up on a rock. And now they're sitting on the shore. They're sitting on their boat. And they're weaving back their net. They're mending it. That's this Greek word that in 1 Peter chapter 5 means to perfect. All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Now this is a pretty easy one, but just look how it flows. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you. That you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. It's pretty easy. That word there, perfectly joined. Perfectly joined. Watch First Corinthians, or rather 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Finally, brethren, farewell and be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest you all be tempted. That word restore. So we have the word mending. We have the word perfecting. We have the word of rest, restoring or restoration, of being joined together. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good will according to do his, or in every good work to do his will. Now all of that, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I want to tell you today that there's a lot of moments in our life that we're like the nets of James and John and Peter. We've been torn. We've been broken. We don't work like we used to. The purpose that we had in life, with a, if you will, a broken net, it, it kind of loses its purpose. I go shrimping. I have a, a great friend, an elder uh, down in Louisiana that I go on a shrimp boat with. Brother uh, Jason, you've been with me down there. And... Uh, we have a great time. The, the, the boat has these big nets. They're 12 feet long, and they're about 9 feet deep, and they make a big square. And the net goes back 
about 100 feet, and there's a hula hoop-looking device at the back of the net that holds the end of the net open, and then there's what they call the pocket, and then you tie the net closed. And, and as they, they lower these butterflies down, you have a net on either side, and we push through the water. And as we're pushing through the water, all of the shrimp and all of the fish are going in that nine, uh, uh, 12 foot by 9 foot uh, opening of the net. And it goes all the way back to about that 2 foot hula hoop that's back there. And then it goes into the pocket of the net and then we've tied the end of the net shut. And, uh, and so it all goes back there. And you, you drive through the water. You push for about 30 minutes or more, depending on how many shrimp is in the, in the water. And then we have ropes and we have pulleys. And we pull the pocket of that net up. And it would be a great big pocket. And you pull the rope. And the, the bottom of the net opens. And all the crawfish and crab and fish, or not crawfish, shrimp and crab and fish come out. And, and we get to do that. Well, man, we were in the shrimp that day, I remember. And we were pushing, and it was awesome. And, and uh, my, my, the, my friend, Brother Connie Babb, he does the, the boat driving, and I do the nets. And we had pushed for a while, and it was about time we'd already got a good haul. And so he told me to pull up the nets. And so I began to pull up the nets. And when I got up there, there was not one single thing in the net because I forgot to tie the net shut at the bottom. Everything went in the net, and everything went out of the net. The net had no purpose. In life, the same is true for us. Whether the net was torn on a rock and it wasn't his fault, or whether somebody forgot to tie the net shut, there's times that were broken. But could I just talk to somebody right now, and I'm hoping that the Holy Ghost is speaking along through the Word of God and through the passion of your pastor. But right now, I want to tell you that in 2017, one of the things that God wants to do to you is He wants to perfect you. He wants to mend those broken pieces. He wants to put the broken bones back together. He wants to mend the broken parts and he wants to do that because God's grace is sufficient for you I know that that, that you, you, you might not think about that a lot but that's why David's prayed and I love that prayer of David Psalms 53 I believe where he says create in me a clean heart O God renew a right spirit within me but then he makes that statement that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice he was saying Lord I'm broken. Now, in David's case, he was saying, my sin has broken me. But we serve an incredible God that takes the time. Just as Peter and James and John, sitting on a seashore, took the time to mend an old broken net. Same word applies here. Let me get back to, to our, our verse. But the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, when you suffered for a while, is able to mend your life. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. And I want you to begin to talk to him. I want you to thank God. Because right now some of you are seeing the brokenness. And some of you are needing him to sit down for a little bit. And mend those broken pieces. Lord right now your word speaks more than I could ever do. And I ask that you would speak to those that are sitting in this place. That are broken. That need a touch from you. And I ask by I mean, everything Lord. That you would let them feel those loving hands. As they begin to pick up the broken pieces of our lives. And tenderly. And lovingly, you mend us. You put us back together. God, I'm going to give you praise for that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That's the first thing God wants to do. 
And, and, and some of this you could see perhaps a, a linear progression, but maybe not. So I, I'm not going to presume that this is a progression. I'm not going to presume that you got to be perfect and then you got to be established. It can happen at different points, but let me go to the second one. The second thing he wants to do is, is he wants to uh, perfect you. Now, he wants to establish you. That word establish, now it, it's interesting because when you begin to read it, it uses the word to perfect us. But as we saw, the word perfect us really meant to mend us as it translates back and forth through the Greek and the, and the English. And so now this word establish, if perfect meant to mend, I'm not trying to confuse you, but I think you're with me. If perfect meant to mend, then to establish us meant to perfect us. It means to bring to us wholeness, to complete us in every way. It's one thing to be mended. It's another thing to be completed. In fact, let me read you, just as we did, let me read you a few other verses here in the New Testament where you see this same word. And, and this word, uh, it starts with an S if, if you were to, to do an English translation of the Greek. And I, I think I, you pronounce it uh, sterizo. And, and, uh, but, but here's another place where it, it comes together. Luke chapter 22 and verse 32. Jesus says, but I have prayed for thee. That thy faith fail not. And when you are converted, you can strengthen your brother. When you've been made perfect, when there's nothing lacking, when you're complete in every way. Romans chapter 1 says, Paul says, I long to see you that I can impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. Uh, Romans chapter 16 and verse 25 says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to the gospel. 1 Thessalonians says that Timaeus came to, uh, to bring the gospel of Christ to establish you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 says, To the end that he may establish your hearts, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. James chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Be patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Word, establish. It means to firmly set fast. Our hearts need to be established. And the only way your heart can ever be established is for you to allow your faith to be firm. Many times in the Word of God, it talks about being steady. To don't be blown away uh, around by every wind of doctrine. It means to be set fast in our, in our stand for God. And so here, now remember, we're talking about a, a church that is persecuted, a church that is going through trials. Now, again, I don't know of anybody here that has ever been stoned because you believe in God and you love God and you believe in Jesus. I don't think anybody's here ever been stoned. I don't know that anyone here has ever been flogged or publicly whipped for your belief. I don't know that anyone's here ever been beheaded or, or that you've been boiled in oil or all of the other things that Paul said he had he had done. But we've all had trials and one of the scariest things for a pastor to see is watching a saint go through a trial and watching them 
become weak and watching their faith waver and pretty soon they come to church less and less and I have watched a simple trial bring somebody completely out of church. So even though we've not been martyred and we're not being persecuted in the sense of being beat or that, absolutely this applies to you and I, that God can establish you. God can put you upon a rock that you can stand strong. He can give you the strength, if you will, and the person that is established is not moved by persecution, is not moved by trials, is not moved by problems, is not moved by sickness. And I want to tell you today that God wants to help you be set fast. Set fast. Now some of these words, they overlap and you'll see that settle you has a little bit to do with establish you. But I just want to tell you today, right now, God wants to help you fix your faith firmly in Him. And if you've allowed Him to ever mend you, if you've allowed Him to put the broken pieces back together, then you ought to have faith that He can keep you from falling again. The third one, strengthen. This is the only place that this word is found in the New Testament right here. And it means that he's able to make you, and, and I'm, I'm being redundant, so this is what, let me, let me say it this way. The, the word strengthen means to make you more able. There's no, really no way to, to, to give you any other way to look at that. It means that he will give you the strength to meet the demands of life. What's the purpose of God fixing you? What is the purpose of God establishing you and letting your faith be strong if he's just going to let you fall the next time something comes? Unto him that is able to keep you from falling. He can strengthen you to meet the struggle. And the last one. It says that he will settle you. I love that word, settle. Um, it means to lay a foundation. I want you to, I want you to, to think with me, and somewhere my, uh, my notes didn't finish printing <laughs> off, of my, uh, off of my thing, so you're going to have to forgive me because I can't, I'm not smart like some of you are. And, uh, but you remember that parable? that Jesus gave that says uh, there were two men. A wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And when the rains came, and I love one of the, one of the gospels says, and beat vehemently upon the house, the one that was on the sand fell, but the one that was on the rock stood. I want to just talk to someone for a minute, and I'm just, I'm being very conversational in my delivery today on purpose. That word settle means to lay a foundation. But have you ever, um, have you ever gone through a trial and you've been unsettled? I don't know if, if you can if you can see this, but it, it rained. If, if you can understand it this way, but it rained. You know, it rained cats and dogs the last couple of days, and it looks like it may snow tomorrow. I walked out behind the house, and I had my rubber boots on, and 
and it rained. And anytime it rains, especially when it rains for a day and it's that slow, steady rain, that rain soaks into the ground and the ground is saturated. And in reality, it unsettles the ground. That's why when there's no rain, the ground is hard as a rock because the ground's been settled. Everybody understand the wording I'm using? I was walking out there and I stepped on a molehill. How many of you have moles in your yards? I stepped on a molehill and sunk to my knees. I don't know how deep that molehill was, but it was the king of all molehills. I sunk all the way to my knee. The ground was unsettled. And in, in life, we have there is this way of trials and circumstances and sins, consequences, and life and sickness has a way of unsettling us. And there's no foundation. And that's why when the winds come, we blow to and fro and, and, and when trials come we're, we're knocked about and we're tossed and we're carried Ephesians say in verse 4 or chapter 4 verse 14 we're carried away by every wind of doctrine there's no foundation there's no settling there's no nothing like that but I want to tell you today God desires to settle you I'm, yes I'm being very simplistic in that world Some, the Bible says be anxious for nothing so I'd like to tell you today that it absolutely means God wants to settle your anxiety. The best way that you can be settled is to be rooted and grounded in God, rooted and grounded in His faith, rooted and settled and make sure that you have a firm foundation and as long as I have a firm foundation I can withstand the blows that life brings and I can withstand the blows that sin comes and temptation comes because I'm settled I'm settled I want you just to close your eyes because I have felt literally for a month as I've allowed this verse to mull over my mind I keep seeing just those four words and, and in my own life I can see the times that I need God to perfect me I, I see the times that, that I need to be mended the times that I, I need to just let my faith be firm the times that I need to be strengthened and the times that I need to be settled Father, right now, I know that in this congregation, in this audience of people, we're all at different ways and different walks of life, and all of us have different needs at the moment, which is why you didn't just tell us you're going to do one of these things. You said, by the grace of God, you will do four, because we're going to find ourselves somewhere in need of being perfected, of being established, of being strengthened, and being settled. Lord, I pray right now that you would talk to the hearts of somebody. God, whatever part of their storm they're in, whatever part of life they're in, the suffering that they're in, would you let your word begin to speak to them right now in the name of Jesus. Paul began to write in Romans chapter 5. Verse 1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him have we also obtained access by faith unto this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. Or patience, if you will. Endurance produces character. Integrity. And character produces hope. 
And this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. The Bible says, while we were yet weak, that time Christ died for us. Another place in Paul's writing, he said, in our weakness, we are made strong. How can that be? The only way that that can be is if you know that we have verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. In fact, why don't you stand today? How in the world can our weakness strength come? Our weakness, how in the world can that be made strong? It happens because we have the God of all grace that's called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. And if you've suffered for a while, that's okay. Because he will make you perfect. He'll mend you. He will establish you. He will kind of firm up your faith. and Help you firm up your, your love and faith for him. And he'll strengthen you. He'll give you strength to walk through the storm. And he'll settle you. He'll put you on a firm foundation. So that when the winds come and the waves thrash, you will not fall. I'm going to open these altars. I think it would be absolutely a necessity for us to come and gather and take at least a moment as we pray for these four words that we've learned that we would let God do that in our life right now. Would you come in Jesus' name? I know, I know that, that you, you.